taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Ronan, Montana and Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and we're first of all bringing you the Word of the Lord, and this uh, passage of Scripture comes to, to us from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, saying, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello, everyone. We've been praying for you. Glad to have you aboard here. Um, have you been checking out our articles and uh, and such? Did you, did you actually have a good uh, Thanksgiving, those of us that are in the United States? Um, uh, that's something to be celebrated a family time and be able to gather and and uh just enjoy each other's company um one thing i wanted to ask when you take in our podcast and our articles and stuff are you sharing them with your friends and family and the people around you take a screenshot or share them on the social media we have share tabs on everything um share the articles and the podcasts and stuff and uh share them on your social media pages and uh even uh if you felt like it Print them off and share them that way with friends and family. We're totally fine with that. Um, it, it's about getting that information out, that encouragement out, that conversation that stirs something with your friends, your family, people around you that you can engage with. And that's the whole goal of Bellator Christie is to get people engaged with the word and with the people around them. So as we're uh, as we're getting into today, um, we're going to be talking about some really unique things, some really fun things. Um, we're leading up to Christmas, um, and we're going to be talking about some really neat uh, prophecies and some things leading up to what what actually brought Jesus here, um, you know, and and the stories that kind of come with it. Um, but let's go ahead and welcome on Brian, the the man that's uh, the light of the world right now, <laughs> <laughs> with the, with the pilot mountain lit up. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely pilot. It, well, it was piloting up everything. Uh, pilot Mountain, uh, the uh, mountain uh, that we're known for, as we mentioned to you uh, in times past, it's the same uh, Pilot Mountain mentioned on the Andy Griffith Show. If you if you've watched that program, uh, it actually lit up like a torch this past week they finally figured out what happened they uh there was a someone who had a campfire in an undesignated area why they did that i don't know because we're under a fire ban right now because the conditions are really prone for fires uh, so anyhow it got out of hand got out of control and ended up burning i think they said over 50 percent of the mountain i think it is uh but so it was it was for those of us who grew up in the area and lived in live in the area it was very difficult to watch because this has been you know kind of like uh an icon in fact there there was a, a mount pilot coffee company back years ago that used the image of the mountain on their uh, on their coffee cans and so it was really difficult to watch but uh we're thankful for our firefighters folks i can't mention enough how important our, our firefighters, many of them are volunteers, firefighters, EMS, police force. They're out there, you know, they're protecting us. They're helping us, uh, you know, 
they've got a servant's heart. And so, you know, I'm really appreciative for the time that uh, our own local pilot uh, knob fire department spent along with others uh, there were many other fire department agencies out there uh, helping them uh, put the, out the fire this is this they've got it contained well not semi-contained uh, but thankfully the the wonderful news is is that no no structure to to my knowledge uh, was burned and no homes were were damaged and so that's that is a blessing especially seeing how how much the mountain was on fire this past week that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, it is something to be uh, thankful to all them firefighters. We had uh, wildland firefighters coming from all over the United States um, to help fight the forest fires um, around here. Um, and I remember a couple of years ago um, being on an airplane coming back um, and was and would the, the plane was about uh, two thirds full of firefighters coming to uh, fight. Um oh, to relieve the other firefighters that were already here, wildland firefighters. And the day before we, the day before I got on the, on the airplane, um, coming back, um, I was over in Pennsylvania. Um, but when we, when I was coming back, um, I wound up, um, hearing that, uh, we had lost a, uh, firefighter, um, wildlands firefighter for, um, he was just a young fella, I guess, just started with it um, and just happened to be in the wrong spot. A tree uh, tree that they were cutting uh, to knock down actually came up and uh, just killed him with the, with the butt of the tree mm. while there was fire going all around him. So, um, so when, when I saw those firefighters, um, I got pretty emotional. Um, talking with them and uh i actually had a chance and an opportunity to to thank them and to pray over them and tell them you know we appreciate what you're doing but you know your life is worth your life is worth living don't yeah. don't put yourself in such a dangerous spot that you can't get out you know mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah so it, it's it's definitely something as we look at at some of this stuff Man, there's some people that put their lives on the line for for what? Foolishness. <laughs> you know, the the people that people that started fires foolishly, you know, it, it's just it, it's it's a sad sad deal when somebody has to go in and try to rescue that. Absolutely. But I'm glad to hear that everything else kind of went went down. I, I was kind of laughing because of my son and I were talking. I'm like, I will bet you there's some moonshiners kind of running scared right now because <laughs> they're they're their cover is getting burned up. <laughs> well, you never know, and especially if it happened a couple uh, county or two over from us, there definitely would be people running and hiding from that. <laughs> In fact, I dare say you may see some explosions uh, with some of the steels blowing up. That's hilarious! Oh my goodness! So yeah, let's um let's go ahead and dig into uh, messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. I think. Uh, this is going to get rather fun for me. Um, I enjoy this kind of stuff. I really, I really, um, I really dig how God has encrypted, you know, hidden messages within the Bible. But once you see it, it opens up a whole different view of what you're reading and a whole different view of what you see God communicating, mm. you know. If we understand the Bible in the way that it needs to be understood, which which is is paradise lost in the beginning, 
and paradise regained in the end. But there's a thread of redemption, a scarlet thread that runs all the way through the Bible. So every page of the Bible, we should be able to at least scare up or look at or, or find something that points to Jesus. But there's a lot of times we don't even really realize what's being said there until somebody opens it up for us. So let's go ahead and, and open it up. That's and that's one of the reasons why you know I like the. Uh, um, I mean, doesn't mean a person has to hold to this or you know with, with our Bellator Christie team because I know we have different perspectives on this. But personally, that's one of the reasons why I like the progressive dispensational viewpoint in that. The, the the main theme throughout the scripture is a salvific theme where since day one, since the fall, God has been moving to bring us to a point where his mm-hmm. where where Jesus would come, save the world. It's been it's been a global salvific program from the very beginning. And we're actually as we're talking about yeah. the early messianic prophecies, a lot of people may not have heard of some of these prophecies. Um right. And and some of it's going to come in. Well, I'm kind of getting toward first question, so I'll, I'll pause on what I was getting ready to say. But this stuff it shows, I think, in many ways how God is is from the very first seeking to save the lost. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, let's <laughs> go with the first question here. When we speak of messianic prophecies, what do we mean? We are talking about prophecies, whether they were known by the writer or or unknown by the writer about God moving through the writer to to portray the the future coming of the Messiah and what the Messiah would do. Uh, and let's say as as let's we need to mention that a lot of the prophecies pertaining to to the Messiah have been fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth, and to to the, to the level and degree that if Jesus isn't the Messiah, there's not going to be one. I mean, because especially <laughs> yeah. especially when you start looking at some of the stuff in Daniel, and that'll be one of our later podcasts. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you take a look at the seventy weeks prophecy, and you follow the weeks as it's understood. It, it's pinpointing to the time, uh, to the very year that Jesus would be would be betrayed condemned and then risen from the dead and so there again if if jesus is not the messiah there's not going to be one Uh, but some of the prophecies about the messiah haven't been fulfilled yet and so they will be fulfilled in the end because understand there's two advents and when we talk about christmas uh, this is important for us to remember we're not only christmas properly understood is not only celebrating the past advent of Jesus, it's anticipating the future advent of Jesus when he comes again. So these messianic prophecies, they're speaking of the the person and work of the Messiah. Sometimes these prophecies are just blatant, explicit prophecies that uh, that, that describes you know uh, the the work and moving of the anointed one, uh, the Messiah, which Messiah means anointed one. Some of them are more implicit, and here you get into, we've mentioned this before, more types and shadows, um, typologies, and, and that's uh, a lot of the prophecies are found in typological um, kind of, of, of depictions of the Messiah. But, uh, and, and you're going to find this in some of, the, some of the prophecies we're even going to talk about tonight. They may not be just blatant. Uh, but there are definite, definite clues, typologies that speak to the depiction of a future Messiah. Mm-hmm. And a shadow 
when we're talking about a shadow, we're talking about, okay, think of your own shadow when the sun's reflecting off of you and you're looking down at the sidewalk or down at the dirt and you're walking along, you, you see something, but it can't quite be made out super clear. You can see kind of the the shape of the person. You can see what's going on. You can see their arm movements. And so that would be what we consider like a shadow. So you can see something going on in Scripture that looks like something that would be Jesus mm-hmm. or, or giving us something along those lines. And when we're talking about a type, what are we talking about with that then, Brian? You know, typologies, um, and that's a good question, it's, it's more like uh, pictures. I mean, so where the shadows might be not be very clear, these these might be representations. So, for instance, when, when Abraham takes Isaac on Mount Moriah to sacrifice him, and, and the angel stops him and says, God has provided, provided a lamb, that's a typology. Depicting the work of Jesus that would later come. Now it may not be picked right. up by everybody immediately, right? Um, right. But but it's there. That there, that uh, symbolism is there. Some messianic prophecies are far more explicit. So so for instance, Isaiah fifty three. While there are typologies in there, it, it's it's depicting more with with certainty about what the Messiah would do. Then you look at Malachi, I think it's Malachi, where it talks about Bethlehem Ephrathah, uh, though you may be small among them, you know, one will come to you who is great. And so that is more of an explicit claim. So um, Mm -hmm. most of the prophecies um, may be more along the line of the typological Formulas, and I think many, many Old Testament, New Testament, many Old Testament scholars would probably agree with that. Um, and I'm not an Old Testament scholar, but just hearing many of them teach, I think many would agree with that. But there are explicit promises uh, that we find in Scripture, and we'll, we'll we'll see. You can kind of see the difference as we go through um, right. this, this, not only tonight, but in the weeks to come. Right, and so the words we're going to be using a lot just to clarify and make sure people understand messianic and prophecy let's or prophecies let's let's kind of give a breakdown of what those two words are right there just so it's clear of what we're talking about sure what do they mean by messianic messy messianic is is describing the work in ministry of the you know the personal work in ministry of of the messiah and the messiah was the anointed one uh, back in old testament days uh, priests and prophets and kings many times were anointed with oil and it was said that the holy spirit would come down upon these individuals and at that time mm-hmm. that the spirit didn't come down upon everybody uh, but he came right. down upon specific individuals appointed for a particular task this person and, and as we go through these prophecies, especially in Isaiah, this person has not only the anointing of the Spirit, but the special communion of the Spirit, unlike anything anyone would have. And then later on you see in Joel, where uh, and I'm getting ahead of her, <laughs> her podcast tonight, but you see in Joel this promise that through the Messiah... Uh, at the last days, that the spirit would be pour, it would be poured out on all flesh. So there wasn't just specific individuals. Anyone who comes in the covenant relationship with the Father through the Son would have that anointing of the Holy Spirit on them. And so, uh, so anyhow, messianics talking about the ministry of the anointed one, the Messiah. Prophecies are talking about uh, future projections. 
uh, of what would happen. So we're talking about the foreknowledge of God here as he's he's telling us what he's going to do and how it's going to come to pass. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay. Awesome. So we'll be using those throughout this whole series. So those kind of words, um, you know, messianic, prophecy, types, shadows, those kind of words will all be used, and I just wanted to kind of get a baseline of that, and I think that, that works out really well. Um, so, number two, tell us about the Proto-Evangelum, or the Edenic prediction of Genesis. Now, that was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> so, the Proto-Evangelium, I guess is how you say it, uh, this means before the gospel, or you know, before evangelism, proto before evangelium, uh, the gospel. So this is talking about the 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 gospel before the gospel came about. Uh, and what we find, this actually comes to us from Genesis three fifteen, as you mentioned. And what we to give a background, what what we find is that Adam and Eve are in the garden. The serpent. Now, this is a demonic being. This doesn't necessarily talk about an animal, and this is this has come under a lot of heat in recent in recent days. Uh, but no, we're not going to stir. <laughs> but the serpent is talking about, and throughout the pages of scripture, let me mind you. The serpent is connected to Satan, is connected to the enemy forces. So the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals. And uh, again, this doesn't have to be that he's talking about a specific animal. It may be, that, as we mentioned, the typology may be um, a, a kind of thing that's going on allegorically there. But anyhow, the, 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 data, the, the, the data point is that there was a literal uh, demonic entity in the garden, and he asked the question, did God really say you can't eat from the tree in the garden? Satan's been doing that ever since. Did God really say that? You know, he, he says it, but did he really say that, or did he really mean that? And so he tempts Eve, and then uh, Eve falls. She coerces Adam to eat of the fruit of the, uh, the tree, and uh, it wasn't like there was magical fruit. This is just following along. The, in obedience, it was a simple task to follow along in obedience to right. God. You know, for, for instance, there's no magical power in in uh, the Hebrews being circumcised. There's no magical power uh, keeping the uh, feast days. This was all done in obedience to the command, setting themselves apart from the world uh, right. in many means in covenant relationship, so they could be a testimony to other nations yep. about their yeah, relationship. So people, yeah. So they say, why are you so different? Yeah, and so it was a, it was a way of testifying about their relationship with Yahweh. Uh, so the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God. They, they disobeyed God, and uh, God was walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and or the wind at the wind of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. So he, he asked, where are you? All knowing God, they hid from him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how many people try to do that today, you know? Uh, and so, anyhow, God already knew what happened. And so, uh, I, I love this story. He asked the woman. Uh, he said, uh, "He said, who who told you you were naked?" The man said, "The woman you gave to be with me." So he's blaming God for it. He says, "This woman you gave me told me to do this, and uh, she gave well, me the." We've fruit. been shifting the blame. 
ever since. Ever since, and haven't. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it gets you know, and and the woman uh, when he asked the woman, she's the first person in history to say the devil made me do it, uh, because she said the serpent <laughs> deceived me. She's and I Baptist, ate. huh? She definitely is. <laughs> so. We go on down here, and in verse 14, he says, Because you've done this, you are more cursed than any livestock. Because he's talking to he's talking to the serpent here. Because you've done this, you are more cursed than any of the livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Now, this is talking to... Uh, this is talking to Satan. This is talking to the enemy forces. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring... And her offspring. Okay, he's talking about a future descendant that would come from the woman. Okay, a future descendant that would come from Eve. He, this future descendant, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That is the Proto Evangelium. So, Jesus, by going to the cross, would crush the head and power of of the serpent, a serpent, but it would require uh, this this future seed to be struck on the yeah, heel, to, to for him to be bruised, and so this is the first uh, the the first gospel, uh, the the the, the proto evangelium, the first gospel. Uh, it was a is a, and I'm using some of his material. Walter Kaiser, the Messiah in the Old Testament, he says on page thirty seven, Genesis three fifteen has commonly been called the proto evangelium, the first gospel, because it was the original proclamation of the promise of God's plan for the whole world, and so that's how salvation would come. That this future seed would defeat the power of Satan. Uh, but Satan would strike him in the heel in the process. Satan would bruise him in the heel. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's some that's some big stuff right in the beginning, huh? Yeah, and this is just three chapters <laughs> in just three chapters <laughs> in the Bible and you already have this. Yeah. But it's setting yeah. up the stage. And that's why I you know, whatever model you adopt, that's why I like the model any model that shows that God has been in the working in a process of saving souls from the very beginning. Nothing took God by surprise. From the beginning. Uh, from the very yeah. beginning. Yeah. Yeah, he's not sitting up there going, Oh man, I didn't see him doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> then then let's look at that. Is it important to hold some notion of a satanic or demonic entity in Genesis 3 to hold to this uh, prophecy. Yeah, and I don't want to get into all the debates because, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, but I will say this. No matter what view of Genesis 1-11 through 11 you hold, I think it is important to see some type of demonic activity going on here because this directly ties with with the very first messianic prom, pro, uh, prophecy in scripture um, because it makes no sense it makes no sense whatsoever if there wasn't something that happened uh, some type of interaction between Adam and Eve and a satanic being because it's clearly what he's talking about in that passage of scripture so i think that it is important no matter how you slice it and dice it, to have some notion that Satan was involved in the fall of humanity uh, from the very beginning, and he's been trying to make—he's been trying to trip people up ever since then. Right. Right. 
Yeah, and I think it's I think what's important is that we is that we realize that there's conversations that go on in that in that narrative like you know um you know Adam shifting the blame and Eve <laughs> saying the devil made me do it but but also realize this there was also when that happened she embellished on what God said it, yeah. so 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 she took he said he said don't 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 take of that right mm -hmm. it, and then she says we're not we weren't even supposed to touch it we're not even supposed to touch it well so by satan being able to twist that and say did god really say he was actually asking her did god really say to not touch it or yeah. did god say to not eat of it so yeah. there's a there's a question in there I th I think to be honest with you I think he is just really uh, the bottom line is I think he is really trying to get her to doubt what what the father what God the Father said to her what what God Himself said to her I think he and I think he's doing the same thing to us this very day uh, exactly getting that's us to point. question the revelation of God now that's not to say that there aren't because listen the Bible is a complicated book. Um, I mean, even what we're talking about can get very complicated very quickly. Um, and so, yes, there are going to be some differences in interpretation on some minor details. But when it comes down to the core data of the Scripture, uh, you know, <laughs> we have to ask ourselves, are we going to believe in the core teachings of Scripture or are we not? And, you know, and mm -hmm. it comes down to Romans ten nine. you know, it's, it's pretty clear yeah. cut, you know, Whosoever confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. You know, I, I think that's pretty clear cut. Amen. So, let's look at number four. Can you tell us about the Noadic Messianic prophecy in Genesis 9, uh, 25 through 27? Yes, yeah, so we'll take a trip. We're fast-forwarding now to the time of Noah. And so, in uh, Noah chapter 9... Uh, let's let's see what happened here. So, um, God bless Noah and his sons. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is after the flood takes place. And then you have this bizarre story that happens in verse 18. Uh, in verse 17, God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and every creature. He puts the rainbow in the sky as a promise that he will never destroy the world again by water. Now, and you have this, this weird story where Noah's sons uh, came out of the ark. There were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, Ham was the father of Canaan. And these three were Noah's sons, and from them the whole earth was populated. Um, mm -hmm. He planted a vineyard. Noah become an alcoholic, unfortunately. is It's a sad sad end to Noah. Uh, but then Shem and Japheth, uh, he, so he's, he's, uh, he uncovers himself in a tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the father naked, his father naked, and told his two bro and uh, told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a cloak, and, and the, the indication is that it's more than just 
accidentally looking. There's something deeper going on, but we really don't have time to get into that right now. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Shem and Japheth took a cloak out of respect, placed it over both their shoulders, and walking backwards, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father naked. And so when Noah awoke, um, he said, Canaan is cursed. He will be the lowest of servants to his brothers. Now, here's where, he, here's where we really come into the prophecy. He says in verse 26 and 27, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Okay, the God of Shem. Now, Shem's descendants would be the Semites, the Semites, uh, which would be the Jew. The Jews would be part of that. So, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's servant. Let God extend Japheth. Let Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's servant. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. So yeah. what we find who are, here... Who is, the, who is the Hebrews always battling? Yeah. Always the Canaanites. It's the Canaanites. And so there's there's a battle yeah. going on uh, there. Um, so let me see here. Um, what we find here, and I'm trying to find... Um, so Kaiser says that the best way to look at this, and, and there's some dis- distinctions, and so we won't go into all of that because we really don't have time, but he says that it is better to take Elohim, God, as the subject and proper antecedent of he will develop or he will dwell in verse 27 for five reasons. And he gives five reasons for this. Uh, first of all, he says, the Hebrew language presumes that the subject of a previous clause will carry over to the next one when no other subject is interjected, especially when, as here, it is in a parallel line of Hebrew poetry. Two, structurally, the hepastiche, hip, seven poetic lines, or heptastiche, in verses 25 through 27, is subdivided into three parts with a curse on Canaan as a refrain. In the first part, the two lines, only Canaan appears. So anyhow, this justifies making God the subject and of the verb to dwell in the second of the three lines. Then he goes on to say, in the narrative beginning in verse 18, the place of honor and prominence goes to Shem. Number four, since God blesses Shem in the previous uh, distich of verse 26, and thereby identifies himself in a distinctive sense as verse Uh, Being related to Shem, it is most natural to expect that this distinctiveness will manifest manifest itself in some way, such as God's decision to take up his abode somewhere within the Semitic world. And then number five, the most natural interpretation of the blessing of of expansion for Japheth and Japheth's alleged dwelling in the tents of Shem, despite modern protests to the contrary, would be that Japheth would, would conquer Shem or at least occupy his territory temporarily. So, what he essentially is saying is that God would be the God of Shem, that he would come in the land of Shem. He even talks about how Japheth's descendants would conquer the land of Shem, and we right. see that even in uh, Jesus's time. Uh, there's there's kind of a you know, conflict, but then you also see the future rivalry that happens between Canaan and, and Shem, the Semites, which, you know, has gone on for for forever it seems like but it, it, it's complicated but what you essentially see through this if kaiser's interpretation is right and i believe it is that you, you you see a projection that god would come 
in the land of the Shemites. And he did come in, in Jesus in that very land. So there's actually a messianic promise in, uh, the, in Noah's blessing or in Noah's uh, proclamation. It's hmm. amazing. When, once you uncover that, it's, it's hard to not see that. Yeah, and so you know, like you say, now going through it, a casual reading, you may not pick up on it, but when you really go through a detailed, fine-tooth comb um, examination of the text, you begin to see things that you may not have with a cursory reading of it. Right, right, exactly. So tell us about the Abrahamic uh, Messianic prophecies of Genesis 12 um, and the eight promises God gave to Abraham. Okay, so this is very interesting. So here we move from we move from 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 um, from Eden to Noah, and now we're with Abraham. In chapter twelve, the Lord said to Abraham or Abram at this time, "Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great." And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, the key distinction messianically is to catch that last part. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So. No, wait, wait, wait. It says all people, right? All people. (laughs) All people. And when the Bible says all, what does it mean? It means all. (laughs) All people. (laughs) So are you uh, trying to hint that uh, maybe that doesn't talk to a a limited atonement? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the eight promises. (laughs) Well, let, let me back up and say here that on at least six occasions, the divine promise was announced to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Also in verse 7, you may want to, if you're listening to the podcast, you may want to jot this down and go back and check all of these. Because again, we just, we don't have time to deal with all of them. We really don't. Um, so Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that's what we just read. Verse 7, there's also another promise in Genesis 13, verses 14 through 18. Chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. Also chapter 15, verses 13 through 18. Chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Chapter 18, verses 17 through 19. And chapter 22, verses 15 through 18. And on two other occasions, the same prophetic words were given to Isaac in chapter 26, verse 4, and also chapter 26, verses 23 through uh, 24. Also, it happens, it comes to to, uh, to Jacob in chapter 28, verses 14 through 15, and chapter yep. 35, verses 9 through 12. So here are the eight promises. Along with, along with uh, uh, Genesis 37 through 50. It, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All of Joseph. Yeah. It, that, that's right, that's right. So in this, God makes eight promises to Abraham. He would make him into a great nation, and he did. Mm -hmm. He would bless him. Now, he would have a temple. God's Spirit would come and abide in that temple. He would make his name great. And obviously, you know, uh, even Jews, you know, Jewish people this day say, you know, that we're descendants of Father Abraham. 
Number four, yep. Abraham and his seed would be a blessing to others. Now, here, here's the interesting thing. Israel was called was was called to be a chosen people to be a blessing to other people so that other nations would come to God through the evangelistic ministry of Israel. Now that later moved to the church. Okay, but but catch that. 5 God would bless those who blessed him. 6 He would curse those who cursed him. 7 Abraham and his seed or offspring God would be the channel of blessing, or through them, God would be the channel of blessing to all the peoples on earth, and God would give to Abraham's seed the land he had entered after leaving Ur of the Chaldeans. So when you really stop and look at this, the Messianic portion really comes through where he talks about being a, um, being a blessing to all nations, but especially... Uh, how all the peoples on earth would be blessed through him. Um, so um, we also see here. Um, well, that's, that's we won't we won't get into all of that. That's uh, but anyhow, that, that's the biggest thing we can find here. And um, you know, th- this probably was even. Um, was was probably even more understood by Abraham when he took uh, Isaac up to Mount Moriah, and then um, he he named the place Yahweh Yahweh Yira, or Jehovah Jireh, or however you want to say it. The Lord will provide. Uh, in other words, Abraham saw that God Himself would provide a substitute, and and a God in that sense was showing Abraham how he would be a blessing to all nations through another person who would come and give himself as the ultimate sacrifice for all. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and there's there's more types and shadows within that whole yeah. section there. Um, the the gee, many crickets, the burning bush, the, <laughs> yeah. the 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 cleft of the rock. The I mean, oh my goodness, it just <laughs> it explodes it goes on and on and on. So <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, we could go on forever on that, but those are the types and shadows that we talk about. But the, the specific prophecies, honestly, when God, when God, when God, when actually, when Abraham says God will provide a sacrifice, that is powerful. Yeah. When we when we just look at that one right there, okay, we go from Genesis three, which says there's going to come one that that that's going to crush your head, but you're going to bruise his heel. And then Abraham says, God will provide. These are big things. These are, these are big things pointing to, to Jesus coming. Yep. So, uh, what can you tell us about the Judaic prophecies in Genesis 49, uh, eight through 12? And how does Shiloh figure into the prophecy? Now, Shiloh is going to be a word that you're not most likely going to see in the English translation. Shiloh is 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 more in the Hebrew, but it's translated in such a way in different contexts. Some translations do a better job than other translations. And I have to say, you know, I use the CSB a lot, and I'm very impressed with how they translated this. And so, anyhow, l- l- let me tell you what's going on. In, in chapter 49, so uh, this is... 
um, when the brothers come, they're reunited with Joseph, uh, they're saved from the famine, then, then uh, this is towards the end of Jacob's life. He calls his sons and said, gather around and I will tell you what will happen to you in the days to come, uh, the days coming forward. And he so he gives a blessing to each of the sons. He, he gives a blessing to Reuben, the firstborn, uh, my strength in the first fruits of my virility, excelling in prominence, excelling in power, so on and so forth. Simeon and Levi, uh, he gives a blessing to them. But then we really want to particularly look at the blessing given to Judah. Now, let's hit the pause button. Why is Judah important? Right. Judah's important. The word Jew comes from Judean or of Judah. Mm-hmm. Jesus came from the lineage of Judah. Not the firstborn mm-hmm. son, not the second, not even the third, but the fourthborn son, which it really makes no sense, <laughs> to be honest with you, because right. normally it was given right. to the firstborn son, the, the, the prominence and prestige, right. but this was the fourthborn son. Okay, so in this he said, Judah is a young lion. Pause again. In some passages of Scripture, Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Tribe of Judah. Now, yep. each one of these brothers, their, their, their tribes had something of a flag and a logo. And for Judah, the, the logo was that of a lion. And so, you know, th- these flags, uh, they would fly, uh, would have an emblem of a, of a lion on there. And so the lion of the tribe of Judah is pointing even to the logo. But this all comes from uh, the, uh, the Judaic prediction or, or the blessings from Jacob. Judah is a young lion. My son, you will return from the kill. He crouches, he lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? Now, verse 10, the scepter, was the scepter? It's talking about the throne. The right. scepter will not depart from Judah. Now, right. which of these tribes is the only tribe left standing today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the mm-hmm. tribe of Judah. The scepter right. will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet. Until he whose right it comes, it, whose right it is comes. Now this word here is Shiloh. Until Shiloh comes. Okay, this, if you read this in Hebrew, it would say, the staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. Whew. Now this is more specific. The kingship, the scepter will not depart from Judah. Okay, and so mm-hmm. now he says, until until one comes, until he whose right it is, or Shiloh, comes. Okay, this is talking about a person who has the right to carry the scepter, and the obedience right. of the people belongs to this person coming in the future from this particular tribe, mm-hmm. would be Shiloh, the one to whose right it comes. The meaning of until Shiloh comes can be best explained if pointing to the vowels of change from... Uh, well, anyhow, I won't get into all that. But this, anyhow, he's talking about, t- to be translated exactly as, as the CSB says, 
the one whose right it is comes. And this accords perfectly, says Kaiser, with a longer form that is spelled out more distinctly in Ezekiel 21, 27, and 32, which says, until he comes to whom it rightfully belongs. And so this is pointing to a messianic figure who would come, who would carry the scepter from the tribe of Judah that would be an everlasting dominion. And that can only happen through yep. Jesus. <laughs> right. So yeah, can, and then yeah, you got other scripture telling us that, that he's from everlasting to everlasting. Absolutely. So so, so, yeah. so you see you see some amazing things says Judah will continue to govern until Messiah comes. Shiloh is best understood, therefore, as a cryptic yet shorthand form of the personal name of the Messiah. While if he goes on, Kaiser says, while some may object to this personal messianic meaning was not known until the 16th or as others protest is in the late 19th century, it can be shown that there is an old Jewish tradition going back to the Targum of Ankalos that reads, until Messiah comes, the Jerusalem Targum reads, he says, until the time that King Messiah shall come. This was understood by the early rabbinics as talking about Messiah coming. Mm-hmm. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, and you know the. I've always I, I I encourage people a lot when we talk about things. You know, um, we in our culture today, you know, hear a lot about the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, which we just talked about with Abraham. You know, essentially the the Lamb, you know, the, the God will provide a sacrifice. That's the sacrificial lamb of God. But we also see the lion of Judah, mm-hmm. the lion of the tribe of Judah. Not only is our God a, a, a sacrifice, but he's also a, uh, a protector, a guider, a, 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 a warring um, God that, that will stop at nothing to, to eradicate the evil that's in our, that's in our midst. And Amen. that's what he does on the cross. He he won that battle on the cross. Amen. So, so what uh, what about the uh, the Balaamic prophecy in Numbers twenty four fifteen through nineteen? And this is talking about Balaam, the the prophet. Yeah, Balaam, and and then there's a, a guy Balak who tried to uh, get Balaam or Balaam to. Uh, uh, curse right. the people of God, and and Balaam wasn't exactly a guy who was on the up and up. Uh, <laughs> nah, <laughs> he waited waited to get paid a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was something like you know a donkey. <laughs> yeah, and you know the, the amazing thing is you know that they I've often heard it said the miracle is not that the donkey talked to Balaam, <laughs> but that Balaam actually talked back to the donkey. <laughs> He didn't think it was abnormal. That's the thing that always caught me. It's like, wait a minute, it wasn't. It didn't throw you off at all that your donkey turned around and said, "Hey, why are you hitting me?" <laughs> I mean, he's just like, "Get going," <laughs> you know. It's like that does. It just blows me away. It makes me laugh. I know if I was standing there next to one of my cows or the horses or whatever, and it and it turned and said something to me, I'd be like, "Whoa, what just happened here?" <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so, so we find in the narrative of the story 
that uh, going back to verses 12, Balaam said to answer, uh, well, let's just go back to verse 10. Balak became furious with Balaam, struck his hands together, and said, I summoned you to put a curse on my enemies, but instead you have blessed them with these three times. Now go to your home. I said I would reward you richly, but look, the Lord has denied you a reward. Balaam answered Balak, Didn't I previously tell the messengers you sent me, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go against the Lord's command to do anything good or bad of my own will. I will say whatever the Lord says. Now I am going back to my people, but first let me warn you, that uh, what these people will do to your people in the future. And then he starts a proclamation of the oracles. And so uh, we go on down to verses 15 through 19, and this is the oracle he gives. He says, uh, The oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, uh, the uh, not Eor, but Beor, uh, the oracle of the man whose eyes are opened, the oracle of one who hears the sayings of God, and has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls into a trance with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. So in other words, he's saying, one is coming, not now, but in the distant future. A star will come from Jacob. Now some people believe that the star may have been what prompted the Magi to follow a star uh, to the birth uh, birthplace of Jesus. And so he says, A star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel. He will smash the forehead of Moab and strike down all the Shethites. Edom will become a possession. Seir will become a possession of its enemies. But Israel will be triumphant. One who comes from Jacob will rule... He will destroy the city survivors. In other words, he's pointing to one who would be the ultimate conqueror, the ultimate victor, and this person would come through Israel, and that uh, through him Israel would be triumphant uh, through this messianic entity that would come, this messianic person who would come. Uh, isn't that amazing how we can start seeing these uh, these prophecies coming coming up and. And, and it amazes us when we look when we when we talk about this now and we look back at it we're fortunate because we got the scriptures and we got the full story and, and we're like well yeah okay I can I can see that now but think about in Jesus's time the 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 rabbis and the and the Sanhedrin and all of the people that were all part of his culture didn't see him fulfilling this yeah it's amazing it, to me it, it's amazing and you know i think that you know, we talk about bias and we talk about you know because because jesus <laughs> and this is one of the things i'm going to talk about in my dissertation well and i'm, I'm probably not going to go into it too deep right now but G, i just will say this jesus is just as controversial on certain issues today as he was even then and um <laughs> Especially when you look through the Sermon on the Mount and and a lot of the ethical teachings and, and demands of Jesus. I mean, even you know, again, Romans ten nine that it wasn't a teaching of Jesus, but clearly implied through the teachings of Jesus. Uh, that you know, <laughs> that there are some who may not have wanted to see it, 
because of what yeah. Jesus was teaching. But l- let yeah, me, there you go. Let me let me close this part out with a, a quote from Walter Kaiser. Uh, by the way, I, several in my of my masters and doctoral classes use this book by Walter Kaiser called "The Messiah in the Old Testament." Uh, great, great book. If you're interested in messianic prophecy, he says he says this. On page 57, the picture painted by Balaam of the star, scepter, and ruler, the man who would arise out of Israel and and be awesome in his conquests and decisive in his actions, is a picture of the coming Messiah. Indeed, who can live when God does this? This portion mainly depicts what will take place at the second advent of the Messiah. Again, as we mentioned prior or previously in the podcast, Christmas should help us not only celebrate the first advent of, of the Messiah, but anticipate the second advent when he returns. He says, so let me reread this. This portion mainly depicts what will take place at the second advent of Messiah. He will literally clean house of all evil and all opposition to his rule and reign. No nation, no kingdom, no community will be free from the awesome power of the Messiah. His dominion will rule and reign supreme. Mm-hmm. And clean house, that uh, hmm, that has some uh, temple cleansing hints to it, doesn't it? <laughs> Additional shadows there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, number eight, uh, to conclude this, part of our podcast so we're, we're kind of getting into this uh what can be said of the mosaic prophecy in deuteronomy 18 15 and 18 all right so <laughs> we, we're hitting some heavy hitters here i mean think about this yeah we were in eden yep. then we traveled to noah in his time after the flood we we left noah then we went to abraham we went to uh, Jacob and the and a, and a blessings given to to Judah. Then we went to Balaam and was talking about uh, the uh, prophecy and numbers that Balaam gave. And now we're with Moses. Moses right. in Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen and verse eighteen. Um, so there were now, m- many prophets. Now, uh, go ahead. Before we go into this, I know that I know that to, to normal. Bible readers, Deuteronomy, they might know what that what that actually means. But what does that what does Deuteronomy mean? Can can, can we kind of give a little bit of a basis just just to kind of help people understand sure. what was going on in that time period? So Deutero means two or second, uh, and the nomos means law. So it's talking about the second law or or a retelling of the law. Uh, retelling, yeah. yeah, retelling of the law. So it wasn't like that. This was represented another law, but it was like to to tell the law over again, a second telling of the law. Um, and so this this is Deuteronomy. And by the way, uh, let, let me say here the most quoted book in the the yeah. G, the most quoted yeah. book of the Old Testament that Jesus quotes the most is Deuteronomy. Jesus, let me rephrase that. I said that kind of confusingly. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy more than any other book in the Old Testament. Right. Yeah. Psalms yeah. and Isaiah are, are the next, that, that, that's the top three. Uh, Deuteronomy 1, Psalms 2, Isaiah 3. Those are the three big ones. And so it's interesting because in the book of Deuteronomy, 
Deuteronomy gives a series of blessings and curses. If you follow in obedience to the to, to the word of God or to, to God's commandments and God's covenant relationship uh, that you've established with him or he's established with you, if you follow along with the covenant promises, then you will be blessed. If you reject the covenant uh, that God has given you, then you will be cursed with these certain things. So it lays out all these blessings and curses throughout the entire book. So, we come to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Now, it was recognized that there were many different prophets that God called, but there was something special about Moses. Moses had a special relationship with God. By the way, Curtis, I've got to tell you this. You know, as we mentioned at the outset of the podcast, Pilot Mountain, which I can see from my front yard, was on fire. This, this past week. But you know the amazing thing about it? It made me think back to yep. Moses and and, uh, and the mountain there. Uh, and how frightening it was. Mount Sinai, yeah. yeah. Because, remember, God said for them to follow a pillar of smoke by day and a, and a cloud of fire by night, or a pillar of fire by night. With that mountain, when it was on fire, in the daytime, you could see smoke arising from the mountain, but at night, you could see the flames of fire on the mountain. Clear as a bell. Clear yeah. as a bell. I mean, and yeah. I've never been around. I've never been around a, a mountain that's been on fire before. So that imagery was very powerful and brought back. And can you imagine what it must have been like for Moses to step up on this on Mount Sinai, knowing that the very presence of God was there and that God wrote with God wrote out the the Ten Commandments with this uh wrote them out himself. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so it's it's and that a, mountain Mount Sinai was not consumed. It was not consumed. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's insane to think about. Yeah. And so yeah. <laughs> and so I was thinking about even this past week looking at the mountain on fire, what it must have been like for Moses to have gone up on this mountain there with the Lord. And um, Moses had a special relationship with God. And so here's where we come into Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse um, 15. Uh, It was 15 and 18. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And he goes on down to verse 18 and says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything that I command him. So he's talking about a future prophet, a future messianic prophet who would have the very words of God and would communicate those truths to the people. (laughs) Unbelievable. As as the Sermon on the Mount was going on, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and here again, try not to get too much in my dissertation, uh, but but it's just you know, I've had my cup just overflowing. Um, it may have even been that uh, that the Sermon on the Mount represents so small segments of of various messages that Jesus gave over, who knows, a week, a month on that sermon. It may not have been just a one-day thing. You know, I think that's many times the impression that I've got 
read, reading scripture that it may you know just you kind of read it thinking it'll be just a you know a one day thing, but it may not be that. Mm-hmm. It may have actually been a series of messages that Jesus gave uh, that could have lasted a week. It could have been like an intensive he had for the people there on the on the mount that day. Yeah, amazing. Well, there you have it, folks, with our uh, with our our first part of the series um, of the Messianic Prophecies. Um, and uh, just take this in, think about it, read the scriptures that we've pointed out, and uh, we'll be we'll be getting back into this next week, and uh, there's going to be even more. And as we get closer and closer, um, there's going to be some really big ones that are going to hit. So we here, here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending this time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say, Hold your own, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christi Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi Podcast and BellatorChristi.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Hi, I'm Dave Baggett. I'm the director of the Center for the Foundations of Ethics, previously called the Center for Moral Apologetics, at Houston Baptist University, which in this fraught cultural moment of eroding moral foundations exists to explore the ultimate questions about ethics. What explains intrinsic human value, for example, or what accounts for authoritative moral obligations or essential human equality or basic human rights? We aim to foster a community of scholars from an array of disciplines to delve into these questions with care and rigor. In the process, we hope to highlight the evidential significance of bedrock and axiomatic moral truths when it comes to matters of the human condition and ultimate reality. In June of 2022, we will be kicking off our certificate program in moral apologetics, a four-course sequence on the history of the moral argument, a course defending moral realism, a course defining and defending theistic ethics, and a course that reveals the shortcomings of secular ethical theories. So check it out on the HBU website and at our own website, moralapologetics.com.
Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today.